Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Tuesday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. It is the 9th of June. We are glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Brian Haydad, Michael Borkey. Thanks for being with us. The C Spire text line is open, just like it is all the time. But as we begin, we remind you that that's the best way for you to connect with us during the show. At C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day, from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Tuesday afternoon, guys, ton of rain, at least where I am overnight. I don't know if it was like that for uh, you, but sun finally popping out. It looks like we're going to dry out and be pretty good for the rest of the week. And for the next 10 days or so, uh, summer's here. Yes, like not ridiculously hot though, is it? No, it'll touch 90 a few times down here for sure, but uh, just sun and 90 degree weather. That is Hey Dad's dream. He falls asleep at night dreaming about highs in the low 90s and nothing but sunshine. Right, Hey Dad? No. <laughs> Sorry, I dream I the, the opposite number. of that. Yeah. This oh, is pretty good, gosh. though. Like 77, 82, mid 80s for the uh, weekend, low 80s, mid 80s next week. But yeah, it's summertime in Mississippi. Digging it. Good grass growing weather, Borky, but uh, you're going to have to start watering your yard. Do you do that or you just let it go naturally? I don't. It's, it held up last summer, uh, so I'm hoping the same thing will happen here. I mean, it's all Bermuda, so it's built for this kind of stuff. There you go. Um, what, are you, what are you watching back there? I don't know. There's soccer of some sort. Uh, this is uh, Saarbrücken and Leverkusen. Bayer Leverkusen. Okay, I know who they are. Okay. You know, did, do you think I mispronounced Saarbrücken? Almost certainly. Well, uh, give me a better pronunciation then. It's got oh, I don't know. dots over the top of the U. I don't know. Okay. Should I just say Borussia in front of everything and then that makes it sound a little bit better? Go with that, sure. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I just put it on ESPN, and that's uh, that's what's going on uh, this afternoon. Tell you what else is going on. Mississippi State has added a wide receiver, which on the surface sounds like a uh, pretty good idea. Borky, uh, as he sent us this, says he has one more reception than I do over the last couple of seasons, but his measurables are off the charts, and the depth chart at the position is slightly different at Mississippi State than it is at Alabama. Hey, Dad, tell us a little bit more about Tyrell Shavers. Tyrell Shavers is the guy who, who had sort of dug his own grave at Alabama, signed in the class of 2017 with three other wide receivers. Their names were Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, and Henry Ruggs. 
Uh, I mean, this is a kid who was rated the 12th best receiver in the country, which means Alabama got four of the top 12 that year. That's pretty good recruiting. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Calvin Ridley was there when he got there. They added Jalen Waddle since then. So he's been behind. Uh, that's what, uh, five first round guys in his time in Alabama. He could be a fifth round guy and be Mississippi State's best wide receiver since Eric Moltz. So, you know, uh, uh, like Borky said, you know, the, the measurables are off the charts. He's six foot six, he's a four four guy. Uh, had been a big contributor for them on special teams. Maybe this was going to be his year to break out, but he decided to, to move on to uh, to get his grad transfer and sort of seek out some uh, some fame and fortune. Because still, you know, still had Smith and uh, Waddle ahead of him on the depth chart. There uh, comes to Mississippi State, where, like you said, it's it's quite a different look at the depth chart. But that said, now if if he there's a lot of ifs, there's a ton of ifs. But State has got some some ifs that if they pan out, you, you, this offense is going to click the way Mike Leach probably wants it to. On the whole leaving Alabama thing, if you rate it, wait it out through Judy and Ruggs, it seems like, why would you leave now? It's like you, you waited your turn, you went through the hard part, and now you ought to have a chance. Well, you, still, you still have still Smith and Waddle there. Balls, though, right? right, right. you got still got Smith and Waddle there. And, I mean, without looking, I'll just assume that Alabama has signed some more five-star receivers in that time. So, I mean, it's just a never-ending cycle over it's there. It's going to blow your mind. In 2019, Alabama did not sign a single wide receiver. Now they made, up, they made up for it last year with a couple of blue chips, but yeah, didn't sign a single wide receiver in twenty nineteen. I guess they figured, you know, they knew they had Judy Ruggs, Smith, Waddle, and and the rest of those guys for one more year, and didn't really need them. They made for it, made up for it last year though. No worries. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not worried about them and their depth chart. Isn't there a song? Don't cry for me, Alabama. Oh, wait, Argentina. <laughs> Close enough. We're not crying for you, Alabama, uh, either, by any stretch of the uh, of the imagination. They had another one enter the portal today as well, a name that yeah. I didn't recognize because you know he doesn't play much there, considering who started. But they're uh, now with these two being gone, they're you know don't cry for Alabama. A little thin at wide receiver, a little. They'll just sign. They'll just sign this year's Judy Ruggs and Smith, and they'll be fine next season. My, my guess is they like the uh, the two at the top of the list that they've got, and surely they'll be able to plug somebody in otherwise after uh, after that, I would think. Uh, so Shavers uh, played in all 13 games last year as a redshirt sophomore. He was a contributor on special teams, had a blocked punt. He returned it two yards for a touchdown against Texas A&M. Uh, one catch for 20 yards, one rushing attempt for 14 yards, which actually came against Mississippi State. And we mentioned a second ago the uh, recruiting class that he was a part of, 2017. Highly ranked wide receiver. He was out of Louisville High yeah. School in uh, in Texas, ninth best player in the sport. That was according to the composite rankings at uh, 24-7 sports. It was a unanimous four-star selection coming out of high school as well. And yeah, I, I said a second ago, wouldn't you think after you waited it out behind Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs that maybe it would feel like now's your time to shine. But the reality is, hey, Dad, even if he had stayed at Alabama, and let's just say that he was the third best receiver on that team and was targeted, you know, half a dozen times a game, four or five times a game, whatever, and put together a good season, it's still way different than the numbers he is likely to put up in a Mike Leach offense. Yeah, if he lives Assuming up to his recruiting play. hype. Right. 
if he lives up to that hype, if he can live up to that profile and be State's number one receiver, he's going to catch 85 to 90 passes this year. I mean, that's just that's just the fact of the matter. That's just what a Mike Leach offense is going to look like. Your number one guy is going to catch 80 passes. Um, so, yeah, a lot more opportunities uh, for him. Interesting stat here that a friend of mine came up with. And I, I this... I spent Monday's Thunder and Lightning podcast doing some some brain melting stats about Mike Leach and, and how that's going to translate to Mississippi State. So outside last year, outside of Ruggs, Waddle, Judy, and Smith, Alabama receivers only caught Alabama wide receivers only caught seven passes. Mississippi State after Gidry, Mitchell, Thomas. In, in fairness, in yeah. fairness, those four at the top caught yeah. a bunch of know. balls. Well, that's what I'm getting at though. At State, you know, after Gidry, Mitchell, Thomas, and I think the fourth one is uh, is Austin Williams. Uh, only 14 passes for the next wide receivers down. Outside of Washington State's top four receivers, the next four caught 127 passes. Really? Yeah. A lot of balls to go around here in the Mike Leach offense. A lot. So so the guys that were 5, 6, 7, and 8 combined for 127, combined on for 127 catches. Yeah. Which is, you know, quick math here, about 32 catches apiece. Yeah. That's a really good season in a lot of offenses. <laughs> yes, that was their, that was their eighth guy. Did you see the uh, picture floating around of KJ Costello on the uh, on the golf course over the weekend? I did not. Did he, did yeah. he hit up Old Waverly. Where was he? He, he and his dad were uh, were at Old Waverly. Saw that on uh, on George Bryan's Instagram over the, oh, there you uh, go. the weekend. So, uh, look at you on top of things. What? Instagram? Yeah, I haven't touched Instagram in months. I look at it, I just don't use it. I, I really probably should be a little more active on Instagram. Eh. Maybe. I don't that uh, other wide receiver, by the way, Chadarius Towson, he was a 2017 signee for Alabama consensus four-star recruit and presumably a graduate transfer. So he's the fifth receiver in that class. Rob Fisher is going to join us on the Farm Bureau phone line coming up a little bit later in this first hour of the show today. Uh, College football fix coming up to uh, start the 5 o'clock. ESPN has uh, rolled out a story that they've done before, but it's always fascinating in terms of discussion. They have tiered the Power 5 jobs in the country. So the 65 or so Power 5 jobs uh, that are out there, they have broken them down into tiers 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Take a look at that list and see if we agree with uh, where those jobs are placed in the uh, in the pecking order, or if uh, we think they've swung and missed on that as well. Got some updated national title odds. We'll get into the PGA Tour stuff as it is just two days away from making a return. Tiger Woods not playing this weekend, but looks like he will be playing next weekend. The UFC is going to do the Fight Island thing. It's not going to be in the Caribbean, though. It's going to be a long way from the United States and a whole lot more with you this afternoon. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll be right back. Talk Mississippi with you back on this Tuesday afternoon. Let's go to the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. Hey, Dad, Jason says 
Those numbers were year eight at Washington State. Why is nobody looking at Leach's year ones? It will get there, but it won't be this year, especially with everything going on and the lack of practices leading into the season. Okay. I did look at year one. And, yeah, okay. in year one at Washington State, they weren't great. They were also coming off of four straight years where they hadn't won more than four games in a season. Talent-wise, they were nowhere near what Mississippi State is right this second. Uh, his first year at Texas Tech, they took right off. Um, I, I could look that up real quick. I'm pretty sure I'm right, though, that they just went right into it. So it, it's State's talent is way, way, way ahead of what Washington State was when Mike Leach arrived. Year one at Texas Tech, 7-6. Uh, and six. Year two, 7-5. and five. Well, I'm talking about from an offensive standpoint, though. What were they doing that year? So what, what was his first year? Year 2000. So, yeah. I mean. That I was had, 19 years ago. Richard, you were what? Did you get married that year? <laughs> it was about five years yeah. before I got married, Borky. Thank you. That's it? Oh, God. <laughs> Wait, what year was it? 2000? 2000? No, I got, I got married in 06. Yeah, I mean, his first year at... at, at uh, Texas Tech, they had Cliff Kingsbury, and he, he threw for 3,500 yards. The season before that, uh, Cliff Kingsbury threw for, or whoever the starting quarterback was, threw for 1,400 yards. So, I feel when pretty did the confident. Richard is old jokes become a thing. I don't know. <laughs> it's considering that I'm for the years you. of Borky's young jokes that I got when I first started here. I have yeah. a lot of issues right now because now I am the oldest, I'm the fattest, and now I'm the shortest. Not happy. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Yeah, I know, right? So, ah, uh, but see, you, I, I can't say those things about you. I mean, I can. You have to say them about yeah. yourself. I mean, I can Correct. say you're the oldest. Yeah, you're right. But anyway, getting back to the point, you know, from year one in Texas Tech, huge improvement. Year one at Washington State, numbers wise, was a big improvement. They didn't win a lot of games, but they didn't have anywhere near the talent that Mississippi State did. They certainly didn't have a Kylan Hill. They didn't have a guy like KJ Costello coming in. It's just, it's really apples and oranges. Yeah. Okay. Another question on uh, Louie, by the way, says he has shoes older than me. You take him to a cobbler? What happens to the the soles? Did you just ask if he was a cobbler? If he takes him to a cobbler, I mean, I, I've got a pair of running shoes that I bought three months ago, and they've already worn the tread off of them. Is that like a I'm a runner humble brag? No, they're just. I mean, the treads on shoes are so thin, and I'm just impressed. Yeah, he might be have he might have been being a little hyperbolic there, just maybe. Um. Jason wants to counter your argument, though, hey, Dad. Okay. He says State's opponents are much, much better than Washington State's as well. Wow. Their talent doesn't translate to Washington State's schedule. That's tremendous analysis. State was 6-6 six and six a year ago with terrible offense. If they're good on offense this year, and they weren't good on defense last year either, they were 6-6 six and six going into the bowl game. So, I mean, better coach, and better really quarterback. The about better, the same, isn't it? Yeah, better coach, better quarterback, better offense. Why would they not be better? I mean, could they not be better? Sure. Could it could Leach fall on his face? Absolutely he could. But looking at it on paper, there's no reason to think that. He's won and been successful offensively everywhere he's ever been. I mean, are they going to beat Alabama and LSU? Probably not. But can they beat their four non-conference opponents, Arkansas, Kentucky, Missouri, and Ole Miss? They can. 
Costello's uh, that transfer doesn't get talked about much, and I guess because there's this thing called coronavirus that has uh, diverted people's attention. There have attention. been other news stories, But yes. uh, if spring practice is going on, that's the – there's a lot of things going against Mike Leach at Mississippi State in just year one. I mean, just if we're talking just year one, the wide receiver thing, I mean, maybe they fixed that at least in part with who already's the most talented guy on the roster. Would you agree with that, hey, Dad? I mean, before – Shavers? Yeah. I mean, from a, recruiting, from a recruiting standpoint, he and Malik Heath are going to be one too. But yeah. that said, neither one – you've got one catch between them <laughs> at the college <laughs> level. So they potentially upgraded there, but you have a lack of productive wide receivers. You have a defense that's going to be very young, lost a couple of transfers, and we know about that saga. You now have the coronavirus that is – it's eliminated their opportunity to have a spring, and even though his offense is easy to install, according to the man himself, it still takes a little bit of time to shift your offensive identity from what it was to what it is. There's a lot of things going against him right now, but it's Costello. It, he himself is keeping me from thinking, like, if you were, we will do it this summer at some point, um, make a pick on the over-under. It, he is the, the thing that is keeping me above the five and a half where you can get in most books is Costello, yeah. because even though he was injured a year ago, a very productive veteran college quarterback that is accurate and can do everything that you need a good upper-tier college football quarterback to do. And so if it, if he wasn't there, I, I mean, it could have gone very poorly in just year one. But he's like keeping their head above water for me talking about this season. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think, I mean, you, you add it. The best transfer quarterback in the country, in my opinion. You know, I would. Uh, him, it's between him and Newman. I, I don't know about Daniels, but of course Georgia got two of them. But that, that was the guy. Words when it comes to to Borky. I mean, he's he's pretty high on Jamie Newman. I like Newman. Don't I really wrong, like him. I mean, I think I, I think he's a good player. But I think you know, if you if you had to pick one, you know, especially for Mike Leach's offense, I think you would pick Costello. Yeah. That's just what I get for watching 11 a.m. Wake Forest games. I, I, I've just fallen in love with this Georgia quarterback. I'm, I think anything short of 11 regular season wins would be a surprise to me. I think they are potentially that good, especially with him, that if they go like 9-3, and three, it's a borderline disaster considering their talent, their schedule, everything like that. If you want to find out more about the Georgia Bulldogs, who have not won a national championship since 1980, check out the Thunder and Lightning podcast today, where I talk to Jake Rowe of Dogs 24-7, previewing the other Bulldogs. You just went into, like, TV weatherman voice. <laughs> High of 78 today. Is that 40 years, 1980 to 2020? Yeah, that, that's 40 years. So Georgia football hasn't won a national championship in 40 years. Shut up, Borky. Oh, I'm not even doing a Richard Cross age joke. I just I find oh, it I thought hilarious. that's I thought no. that's exactly what you were doing. No, I've just I it's it's funny to me that for some reason Georgia look, I know it's in a great state with with resources and recruiting and all that, but Georgia just gets automatically placed next to Alabama and Ohio State and, and LSU now as far as like where their programs are, but um, the other ones have won national titles recently and have gone to them consistently. Rick was a great coach, but there was limitations there. And Kirby Smart has gotten there, but still hasn't won anything. I, I think the, 
Georgia is one layer below, and we'll get to the tier argument later, and I love that discussion. Um, I don't think you can put Georgia right now on the same plane as Ohio State and, and Alabama and Clemson until they win something. Are you grading the results or the job? It, it's A job is fantastic. It is a great... I mean, it's one of the best. But I think you can separate... It's absolutely a tier one college football job. Yeah, I guess it... Yeah. It, it, yeah, sure, absolutely. I'm talking about just results and like program status yeah. and how if people you, think of it. I, I think of Ohio State as... If you take the results a, out, Georgia might be like the second best job in the country. I'm, it's right there with Texas in terms yeah. of what you have, what your recruiting base is around you. Georgia is is right there. They haven't had the results that an Alabama or an LSU or an Ohio State had, but in terms of having advantages, yeah, they're right there. I guess it's what more of what I'm I'm looking at is just simply people will say that Georgia is the same or has been the same as Ohio State, for example. No, it hasn't. Not even close. Uh, nor the same as Alabama or Clemson lately. They just they the results have not matched what the program should be producing. Got another question on the C Spire text line. How does the grad transfer portal work? Guy says, I'm available and schools come calling, or he says, I'm available, but then has to seek schools out himself. That's probably a little bit of both. Once you're available, schools can call you if they want to, but at the same time, you're more than welcome to contact coaches and say, hey, I, I, I have an interest in your program, and, you know, and feel it out. A guy like Shaver's probably got a lot of phone calls. Brian Haydad went to the grad transfer portal. I might have to call people myself. If you're a graduate looking to transfer, do you have to go into the portal? I think so, because otherwise they can't, otherwise coaches can't contact you. Yeah, if you're still enrolled in this school, you have not to be in the, in the portal to be contacted. Yeah. Well, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Rob Fisher joins us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Lisa and Clara. I have a pair of snakeskin boots that are 40 years old. They've been wow. resold three times. So she takes them to a... I guess you call it a cobbler, right? Well, Yes. Even if it's not a traditional cobbler. I mean, some sort of a shoe repair person. What is the oldest thing you own? Hmm. Uh, My wife? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what year model it is, but I've got a Remington 760 Model 30-06. It's a pump-action rifle. I am... It was my grandfather's. I'm quite sure that it predates me. Mm. I have my dad's money clip. Do you use it? No, no. But uh, I have it. So it's it's got to be at least at least fifty, you know, maybe forty five, fifty years old. Make that a poll question. Uh, what's the oldest thing you own? The off topic poll question for the day. Um, I've got. A set of I don't know what you call it because it's not the size of a decanter. So Richard, you, you see me? It's only about it's probably about this big, 
but it looks yeah. like a decanter. It's glass, and it came with small shot glasses. So I don't know if it's just like a travel size decanter or what, but it's in this um, this pattern bag, and they are from the old course at St. Andrews. And my grandfather got him. I mean, just a few when he was a few years older than me, and I still have them uh, set up in my office. So I don't know exactly what year they are, but they are, as you can imagine, my, my grandfather has since passed uh, many years ago. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I'd guess almost a hundred year old items and from the old course at St. Andrews etched into them. It's awesome. That's really cool. I have some of my dad's Marine Corps medals, too. So, Oh, that's really cool. Very cool. I've got a couple of things in my... It's not a workshop. It's more like a storage room. Kind of in my tool collection that were my great-grandfather's on my dad's side. So, you know, probably some tools that are approaching 100 years old. You know, a chisel and... Some things along those lines. Jesse says cool. a 1905 single-barrel shotgun that was his great-grandfather's. Oh, that's man. very cool. Here's a uh, Keith in Scott County says he has a 1917 U.S. Army issue Colt 45 revolver. Huh. That's really cool. That is... Is it the 1911 model, Keith? I wonder. Uh, Tim and McGee says he has plows that his grandpa and he used when he was plowing with a mule. Wow. Uh, some coins. Uh, Bo from Gulfport says that uh, my wife comment has me and my daughter cracking up. Thanks for that. Thank you for listening, Bo. Didn't mention his wife was cracking up. <laughs> Maybe she just wasn't with them. Yeah. Let's hope. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, just sold my '71 Challenger this past summer. Do they make cars today that'll last that long? I mean, aside from the guy that never, like, will never touch his convertible, and so that will make it. But like my vehicle right now, I mean, it's a 2013 SUV. It, it's not making it another 10 years. There's no chance, and I take good care of it. But there's no way. I feel like it's designed to fail almost. Isn't that part of the? Um, isn't that part of the kind of success story for Apple? Oh yeah, and they're getting sued for it, aren't they? I mean, they, they get to a point where updates are no longer available for their products. Like the iPad I've got is old enough; I can't update it with the newest operating system, and it may just be a memory issue. I I, I don't know. Uh, Tim in Belmont says he has his great-grandfather's Kefler and Essex Compass. He's 54 years old. Wow. Josh says, don't know if this counts. It will eventually be in my possession, a World War II Nazi scout knife that my great-grandpa brought back from his time in Europe. Nice. That's really cool. Uh, here's one. Great-grandfather's 410-22, which my oldest son killed his first deer with. Oh, Lucas, a full set of golf clubs from 1925 that belonged to his grandfather. What's the brand on those? I'd love to know. Well, if I told you to guess before he tells us, what would you guess? I, 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 my guess would be something that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I was going to guess like McGregor. 
I mean, that would have been probably before Ben Hogan existed as a company. Probably before, I don't know when Akushnet was founded. I mean, Akushnet became the parent company of Titleist, and they eventually got away from you know the Akushnet branding altogether. Although, I mean, maybe from a corporate standpoint, I think they're still called that. They just brand everything as Titleist. Yeah, Lucas, let us know what brand they are. Have you ever hit a persimmon wood? Yes. They're not played fun. With one. <laughs> well, they're yeah, fun if you you're swinging well. What was it? I read a story with Tiger, or watched a video with Tiger not too long ago, and he was talking about you know playing junior golf. He was still hitting a persimmon wood, and so they had done kind of an exhibition thing not too terribly long ago with he and Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas and said, you know, he remembered the feeling of hitting it, but it was a little bit of an adventure for those guys who had never, like, you know, the first drivers that they remember were like, you know, the tailor-made Burner Bubble 2 or, you know, the Great Big Bertha. So, what's the first driver you remember having that was like a modern driver, Borky? It was a, a Titleist, and I don't remember the exact model number, um, but but it was it was only like 360 uh, cc's, so a really small head. It, yeah, you hit it in the middle though; it'd go like a rocket. But it was just a a small Titleist is the first driver my dad gave me, and it, it was his, and I was still too uh, too short for it. So I had one of those swings for a while where it looked like I was giving so much effort to swing like a pool noodle uh, to try to hit the ball. But yeah, that was my first one. I remember at one point, and it probably was used, I think I bought it from somebody else, but having the old Callaway Titanium Warbird driver, and it was awesome. And that would have been mid-90s, maybe 95, 96, somewhere in uh, in that time. But no, I vividly, my dad had a set of, uh, they were like kind of a, hybrid forged cavity back Titleist iron but they said a cushion it on the back of them and I think they were a set that maybe he had bought used from uh, from somewhere else but uh, three wood and five wood were both wood and then had a, uh, a persimmon headed driver with a uh, with a graphite shaft in it I mean it wasn't like a we're not talking like a Mitsubishi graphite shaft I mean it was <laughs> and I had like a like a plaid sweater print on it or something like that on the uh they're cool though man i wish i had that i wish i knew where that golf club was i would love to go hit it would you play a full round with a persimmon head driver borky no oh for sure yeah it just it would be a disaster I mean, people, if it's a, a course where one hole is next to the other, I'd have to, like, wave the, the folks down to say, hey, you know, this one's uh, probably headed your direction. Ball striking off the tee is my worst quality in the sport. Really? It's just inconsistent. I mean, you'll look at my tee marks after a round, and they're all over the place, man. But, like, my mid-irons and, and even wedges, I feel like I hit really consistently in the same spot. Driver, all over the place. Lucas said the clubs in question are Walter Hagen brand. Nice. From 1925. Very cool. 
Uh, a couple of others as we uh, have a little bit of fun with this. Unable to connect with Rob Fisher. We'll try and do that a little bit later, maybe. He says, who is this? This is Marion Tupelo. I've got my great-grandfather's L.C. Smith field-grade shotgun. Made first day of production for the field-grade line in 1913, and it still fires. I'd be afraid to, to shoot a gun that old just because like, I wouldn't want to break it, you know? Yeah, but if they're well-maintained and it was quality, True. I mean, it's kind of what it was designed to do. My great-grandfather gave me a silver dollar when I was five. She gave it to me because it was from the year she was born, 1889. Wow. Pretty cool. First uh, first driver, Golden Bear D and three wood in the mid-80s. First modern driver was a tailor-made pre-burner. That buddy of mine sent me a picture of his first tailor-made driver. The old tailor-made titanium with the bubble shaft. It's like you can buy that on eBay for about uh, 30 bucks now. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We will wrap up the 3 o'clock hour after this. Is there anyone home? Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Do we read the entire thing? The statement from Kevin White, the uh, athletics director at Duke? Just paragraph two, if you don't want to read the whole thing. The along with my colleague and friend Bubba Cunningham paragraph? Uh, the, the one that mentions that uh, allowing players to benefit off their name, image, and likeness would allow for uh, boosters or shoe companies to... Uh, steer the star point guard to certain schools, as if that is not exactly how they acquire talent every year. Yeah, that paragraph. Along with my colleague and friend Bubba Cunningham of the University of North Carolina, is the AD there, I am concerned about potential complications attendant upon the actual implementation of NIL legislation. How will it impact recruiting? Will it create a wide-open marketplace in which institutions solicit businesses or boosters to offer ever-escalating endorsement deals to a star high school quarterback or point guard? Will resources from equipment, apparel, and shoe companies be redirected to a relatively few individuals rather than being shared equally among the lesser-known but no less valuable Olympic sports? How will it affect the locker room in which the vast majority of student-athletes go uncompensated? These are but a few of the questions for which we currently have no answers. Uh, so, Zion Williamson, what, what kind of shoe did he wear in high school? See a Nike guy in high school? Yeah, and, and then who sponsors Duke? Nike. And, and then who signed him to a $75 million deal once he left Duke? Swoosh, baby. Swoosh, baby, swoosh. Oh, so it's almost as if that's already happening. It, this kind of stuff falls on deaf ears for me. Like, if this was Jeremy McLean at Southern Miss, I would hear every word. Because how is Southern Miss supposed to recruit against a school that has all these boosters that could give endorsements to players? Like, I hear you if it was him doing it. Miss me, Duke Athletic Director, worried about shoe companies steering players to schools. Because that is exactly how you acquire talent. So are we, I mean, is he genuinely worried, hey, Dad, about inequity in recruiting? 
No. I mean, is that is that he's what he, worried? But is that, that what he's he, saying in this statement? That's what he's saying, but it's not what he's worried about. He's, he's worried that money that Duke could get will become money that Duke players get. That's a true statement. And he said as much. He didn't spell it out exactly that way, but he couched it in, you know, instead of money going to the many, all of our student-athletes getting great apparel. It's going to just go to the few. And Which is Nike crap. may not write us as big an institutional check. That's not going to happen. They still want the Duke brand, which is still which is strong no matter what. There is no larger inequity in the history of college basketball than Mike Shashevsky serving as the de facto head of USA Basketball and the coach of the US men's national team so that every kid who makes one of the U.S. junior teams has access to Mike Krzyzewski and vice versa. And he can trot out LeBron James or Chris Paul or Kawhi Leonard or whomever else to talk to those kids about what a great job he does and how he prepares you for the NBA. And the reality is... I don't even know that Mike Krzyzewski needs that advantage. Newt kind of sells itself. The national championships, the history of getting guys to the NBA. And yet, that advantage exists at Duke and nowhere else. Nowhere else. Now, well, Richard, what about the college baseball coaches that get to coach Team USA? Oh, college players. You don't have Mike Trout walking around talking about what a great job Jim Schlossnagel's doing and how that's the guy you need to go play for. It's just different. Baseball's just different. And recruiting in baseball, too, is not a dirty game either. I mean, I guess it might be, but compared to basketball, people aren't getting arrested. Well, yeah, but and and baseball, in terms of the major sports, is the only one where handshake agreements and commitments actually still matter. You will have the occasional decommitment in baseball, but usually that's associated with the coach change. I guess the most prominent one that we've seen around here is with Jake Mangum. Yeah, also but it was in tied baseball, to a coaching change. In baseball, the super elite players just go straight to the pros. The super, super elite, yes. But even I guess the point I was making in that, once a kid commits somewhere in baseball, it's done. pretty much everybody else stops recruiting him. You might have the occasional, hey, just touching base to wish you luck, and if anything changes, let us know. But as far as it goes, when you commit, it's done in baseball. It's pretty remarkable. Not like that in basketball and football. Four o'clock hour coming up next, Sports Talk Mississippi. Thank you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon, the 9th of June. Don't forget the Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601 879 4395. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness of breath? 
C Spire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C Spire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Rob Fisher from the Fox Sports Southeast Memphis Grizzlies television network joins us right now. Um, have you turned into DIY guy? Am, am I seeing <laughs> things on Twitter correctly? Um, it's a little deceiving because my wife is doing most of the work, yet I'm in most of the video. Okay. So What's it's the more project her. that's happening in the yard? We got a lot of stuff going on in the yard. Yeah, man. In fact, I'm at Lowe's right now uh, picking up just some more stuff for the yard. It rained a little today, so, uh, you know, didn't really work out in the yard, so came to Lowe's to get more stuff, more supplies, man. What are you doing, though? A whole bunch of stuff. We've already finished a bunch of stuff. Right currently, we're working on a putting green, installing a putting green area quadrant, if you will, of the backyard. It's uh, it's really nice. And it's got like four holes, and it's going to be uh, spectacular when it's done. But we're laying the base rock for it right now. Well, so again, is this my go- wife is my wife is doing all that. I'm helping. <laughs> so is this going to be a natural grass putting green, or one of these artificial surfaces? It's going to be artificial surface. Yes, artificial surface, and then it'll have a. Uh, there will be like an artificial rough around it as well. Uh, and then a lot of concrete. So it's, uh, it's going to be spectacular when it's done. You'll have to come over and check it out, man, when you come to Memphis. I, I look forward to the invitation. I didn't even know that you Great. were a golfer. I haven't hit a shot in eight years. <laughs> but by all means, let's put a putting green in the backyard. <laughs> We've been really bored during quarantine, Richard. I'm sorry. <laughs> And Sounds it just like looked good. like an area. It, it was an area of the yard that just screamed, I need, a, it, it, this, is a, this is a putting green area. So we went ahead and did it. By the way, are you digging your own pool while you're at this as well? No, we're not getting to a pool because I have friends with pools. That's the best uh. pool to have is a friend with a pool. So I have multiple friends with pools. So our yard, when it's all said and done, we got a trampoline, we got a basketball court, we'll have a putting green, uh, we'll have a ninja course for the kids, a swing for the kids. So our house will be the fall, winter, spring house, and then we can not feel so bad using everybody's pool during the summer. I like where you're at. So you think you have a future American Ninja Warrior at home? She thinks so. I mean, she's eight. She wants to be on the junior Ninja Warriors. But I don't know. She's to see uh you know, she falls down and scrapes her knee. It's a big, it's a big ordeal. So I'm not, I, I don't know if she's going to be cut out for breaking bones and falling and having to learn how to do that stuff means you're going to take your share of tumbles. So we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll try to train her. I'm not one for it. So we'll, we'll see how it works out. I got to be honest, Rob. I might pay good money, like good hard-earned <laughs> money, to watch you in some of those fancy blue suede shoes go through American yeah. Ninja Warrior course over water. I would see. I would do. Let me do the junior course. I don't think I could do the junior course, but I would like to if I got to try either of them because I know I couldn't do the regular American Ninja Warrior course. Let me do the junior course just to see how far I could get. I guess we should probably uh, change the subject. 
<laughs> yeah, man. I got to stop this yard work and get back to work here soon. It sounds like it's going to happen. So July 31, NBA is going to uh, get things rolling in Orlando. There are some people that have asked the question, and, and I guess maybe we're uh, part of that group. Why waiting this long? Why is it, okay, we got this done, now let's wait seven weeks before it actually starts? I don't know. I think the easy answer would just be they really want to take their time and they still got to get all the protocols in place and safety measures and, you know, get all the logistics of getting the teams there. So this just gives them a little time. It gives the players time to try and get back into game shape, uh, a nice little training camp for the players to get in game shape because the last thing you want to do is come back, play eight games in a short amount of time, and guys start getting hurt because they're rusty. So. I think it's plenty of time for the players, plenty of time to get all the logistics down. And, uh, yeah, I think we'd all love to see it start, you know, next week. But uh, I I think this just kind of gives it plenty of time to get everything worked out on how this is going to go down because there's still a lot of questions, you know, minor questions to be answered. You know, where do teams stay? Which hotels do teams stay at? Which which teams get the real nice hotels? Which teams get the other ones? I mean – there's, yeah. there's a lot of little things, minor details that need to be worked out. That now this gives them a lot of time to do that. Rob, I'm fascinated to know how you feel like the, the format that they ultimately decided on, how it, how it shakes out for the Grizzlies. Because, okay, the, the pool play was an option and they didn't go with that. If we had finished right. the entire regular season, we know that the Grizzlies had the hardest stretch of games, and on the other end of the spectrum, the Pelicans had the easiest stretch of games. Only yep. eight games. It's not a terrible spot to be in with a three-and-a-half-game lead, but you still got to play some pretty good basketball for two weeks. Yeah, I, I think, though, looking at it, if you just play, you play average basketball, you're still going to have a shot at the playoffs. And the worst you can do is nine. I mean, if you go three-and-five... You know, someone's going to have to go what seven and seven and one or seven and one to pass you. So, what are the odds of that happening? I don't think very good. So, I think this gives the Grizzlies a really good chance of not only holding on to the A spot with that three and a half game lead as you mentioned, but if they somehow were to falter and not hold on to that A spot, I think the odds of them finishing in the ninth spot are really good. So, I think their chance of getting into the playoffs is good. I, I don't know if there was a fair system. I don't know if there was a right way to do it. I think they came up with an intriguing way that kind of makes it all feel like it's all going to be like playoff basketball. They're going to be seeding games. And I I think it makes it a little compelling. So I'm not too disappointed about it. You know, at first I thought, hey, giving those teams a chance, that's not really fair. But, you know, to get teams there, well, you better give them a chance and give some sort of incentive on why they're even going and why they're even playing in this thing. So, um, you know, it's a different year. It's wild, and, and things are being made up on the fly, and I think that's kind of what we're doing with the NBA, but I think they've done it the right way. I think it's compelling, and, and you know, everybody goes in feeling like, all right, they're playing for something, so I think that'll make it fun too. Damian Lillard outspoken in that he didn't want to do anything if he wasn't going to be playing for something, and yet, even though they're playing for something, the Trailblazers were the only team to vote against this proposal was that a long-term play to try and convince Lillard to stick with Portland when his next contract comes due? Is that was that what was going on behind the scenes? That is a that is a really really good conspiracy theory. I, I, I'm impressed. I, I I don't think so. I mean, I, I hadn't heard that at all. And and you mentioned it. I think it's very interesting. 
uh, to kind of back your star player. But but I don't think that's the case because I had just heard reports that basically they wanted to return. They just wanted to do it in a different style. They were they were more supportive of the pool play style. So I don't think that's the case. But it's an interesting point you bring up. I mean, it, it makes it look on the surface like yeah, they're sticking up for their superstar player. But um, I don't know if that's the case because I just heard they they wanted a different format on how we were going to return to games. Yeah, I wasn't trying to like put on a tinfoil hat and tell you to look up and see the black helicopters, but I, I just couldn't. I mean, if there are 30 teams and everybody has been in lockstep with Adam Silver and then there's this one team who apparently wanted either 20 teams in or they wanted, I guess, 20 teams in the pool play because that's what their star wanted, I couldn't figure out another right. reason why they would vote against it. Well, I mean, the first thing that went through my mind when they voted against it was, boy, you guys are whining a lot here lately. I mean, <laughs> whining about they, I mean, they want whining about not having their chance at the playoffs and not having a good, a better opportunity to make it to the postseason when they had sixty-five games to make it to the postseason and they were three and a half games out still. So I don't, you know, I'm, I'm a little tired of their whining, but uh, so maybe there is something to it. I, go ahead, yeah. Let's say there is something to it. Let's let's go ahead. Let's 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 make them the nasty guys right now. Let's make them the enemy. Let's start hating Portland. <laughs> Rip City, come on now! Uh, give Go me one on. more, uh, one one last thing. Are you going to be in Orlando? Do you guys have a clear picture yet as to what the television setup's going to be? Still don't know. I'd be stunned if we're there. Kevin Harlan, uh, apparently, it was reported today. He said that he's going to be doing games for TNT from a studio in Atlanta. So I'd be stunned if we yeah, were not going. Sorry. in Orlando. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Yeah, but yeah. but but no the, but the my, my 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 reports from the huddle will be a little different. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Thirty seconds, real quick though. But the the eight games will be done by all of the teams' independent networks, right? That is going to happen. Yes, that is the plan. Yeah, and maybe even they're talking about playing two, three preseason games. Maybe even those. Yeah, very cool. Well, we'll certainly be watching when it happens. Thanks, Rob. Uh, good luck with the you backyard it, projects. <laughs> Appreciate it. It's Rob Fisher from Fox Sports Southeast. He's the sideline reporter for the Memphis Grizzlies on television. Back with you after this on Sports Talk Mississippi. you on this Tuesday. Appreciate Rob Fisher joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team Mississippi Farm Bureau. Updated national championship odds. There are two favorites. Neither of them come from the Southeastern Conference. They are Clemson and Ohio State at just uh, just a little below three to one, so eleven to four, are the odds for Clemson and Ohio State to win a national championship. Then some team from uh, oh, it's Alabama. They've got the second best odds or third best odds, I guess, to win it at five to one. Georgia at eight to one. That's huge Florida, value. Especially for a team that hasn't won one since 1980. Seriously. I mean, that's 40 years ago. Um, but 
Explain. Of course, it's Vegas, so they, they do it <laughs> hey, differently. Dad, you liked than, that, didn't you? That's funny. Uh, they don't do it from a sense of who they actually think has the the best chance. It's more of a money coming in thing. But why would Alabama have better odds than Georgia? Schedule favors Georgia. Does it? Uh, I think so. I mean, if you think LSU's dropping off a little bit, which I do, well, then Georgia has Florida. Alabama does not. And Georgia does have to go to Tuscaloosa. I mean, yeah. Georgia and Alabama's toughest game in the regular season is each other. Then after that, it's who's your second toughest game? Well, it's Florida or LSU. I I would take Florida over LSU. They do both have to play Auburn. Auburn, but that's the third toughest game probably for both of them. I would take Southern Cal. I think Southern Cal will be harder than Virginia this season. Yeah. Um, but, but Alabama will win easily. I think oh, yeah, Alabama's the value, by the way. 5-1 to one for probably the most talented team. To jump on that. Georgia at 8-1. to one, Florida at 12-1. to one. Oklahoma yeah, well, at 16-1. to one. If I gave you the field over Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama, would you take the field? No. But I'd take it over Clemson and Ohio State because then I would get Alabama. Hmm. Buckeyes are going to sleepwalk to the playoff. They are. Do you have Oregon in week two, though? Yeah. 30-1. to one. Group of teams, Texas A&M, Notre Dame, Oregon, Penn State, and Texas. Any of those do anything for you? I think Texas might be sneaky really good. I mean, I know they've somewhat underachieved under Tom Herman, but veteran quarterback, really talented roster, it's not like the Big 12 is some kind of gauntlet where there's just landmines everywhere for them to slip up on, like their SEC counterparts. I mean, it's what is it in the Big 12 this year? You get past Oklahoma if you can. Oklahoma State should be okay. We'll see about Baylor. TCU's been stable. But as far as talent and experience and quarterback play, they should be the favorite in the Big 12. If you want to bet on A&M, just give me your money. I'll kick you in the groin, and we can get it over with quickly. Is Oregon a terrible play at 30-1? to 1? That's good value. not knowing what the quarterback play is going to look like there. Yeah, but they should be the best team in that conference. So the, the, the problem with Oregon is they could easily be the best team in the Pac-12. That doesn't mean they're going to get into the playoff. Auburn and LSU at 40-1. to 1. Kind of feels like you're throwing your money away there. Yeah. Michigan was LSU this time last year, I wonder. Oh, we know the answer to that, don't we? The, the guy that um, he played the big well, no, bet he, on them. He had the big bet on Burrow to win the Heisman. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Michigan and Wisconsin both at 50 to 1. I think I found Southern- it. Um, so Clemson was the favorite at plus 200, Alabama plus 240, Georgia plus 900. LSU's odds were actually, they were 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, ninth best odds in college football at plus 3,300. 
that was shared with Notre Dame and Penn State. That was behind so Texas, Florida. That's 33 to 1. Is that right? Feels like they should be a little higher than 40 to 1 this year, then, doesn't it? Mi- Michigan was Given plus 1,600. Lost. So Michigan had 16 to 1. Come on. Two times better odds than LSU to win the title last year. Yeah. I don't hate Southern Cal at 60 to 1. No. There are worse bets you can make. Like 20 One bucks down on that. Up. Why not? Yeah. And then your uh, your 100 to 1 teams Miami, Minnesota, Nebraska, Oklahoma State, UCF, Baylor, Miami Iowa State, North and Nebraska. Carolina. Miami and Nebraska. Why? Why are they even getting mentioned here? Because somebody will bet on them. And I guess. Tickets. I mean, I got, you're, you're correct. You're correct in that. You know, That's how they build those big casinos out there. But come on. If you wanted to, uh, the, the 200 to 1 teams, Baylor, Iowa State, North Carolina, Utah, Washington. What if I told you at 200 to 1, North Carolina might be worth dropping 20 bucks on? Logo. Well, yeah, okay. But the reason is not Phil Longo. The reason is their quarterback. Yeah, he's good. I mean, you know, they're probably the, the second best team in the ACC this year. Their schedule was pretty wild to start the season. So they start at UCF on Friday, September 4th. And then the next week, they have Auburn in Atlanta. Oh, and then, by the way, in week three, the one of, if not the best team in the FCS and James Madison coming to Chapel Hill. If you're Mac Brown, I mean, you're kicking your AD in the shins, right? Why are you scheduling a game at UCF? And then our break week is supposed to be an FCS team, and you pick one that maybe, like, on a good day can actually beat us. What are you doing? Do you know who they don't play in the regular season? Clemson. Clemson. That is a true statement. So, yeah, not exactly an easy way to begin the year. At UCF, Auburn in a neutral site game, and then James Madison at home. But if they were to go 3-0. Yeah. <laughs> then all of a sudden. Say what? Yeah, I yeah. said what you said. If they're 3-0. and Then you go, okay, Georgia Tech, that should be a win. At Virginia. Should be a win. Who's the starting quarterback Virginia there? Tech. At Virginia? At Virginia. It did, Probably um, Keaton Thompson. Yeah. I so say, you think Keaton's going to win that job? I mean, I, he went there. He must feel like he has a good chance to do it. Jordan, you know, they opened the season with Georgia, so he'll get to see how he does against an SEC team right off the bat. Virginia Tech, Duke on the road, Miami on the road, UConn, Pittsburgh, at Boston College, NC State. I mean, it's just kind of a ho-hum ACC schedule without Clemson on it and without Notre Dame. So they don't play Clemson. They don't play Notre Dame. It's a hard non-conference schedule with UCF, Auburn, and James Madison on it. If they somehow navigate their way through that with Sam Howell, who, by the way, led the country, led the country last year in touchdown passes over 20 yards. Did you know that? I didn't, but I'm not surprised in that offense. Still couldn't beat Appalachian State, though. Yeah. 21 touchdown passes of 20 yards or more. Second on the list was Josh, uh, excuse me, Justin Fields at Ohio State. If I handed, with new coaches, coronavirus, all that stuff, if I handed you 
Ole Miss and Mississippi State, this schedule, how many wins? The North Carolina schedule? The North Carolina schedule, as we just read it, if you handed that to Ole Miss and Mississippi State, in their current form, how many wins? Uh, I mean, I'm not even thinking about it. I'm thinking eight, nine, ten maybe? Well, yeah. I mean, yes, State would lose to Auburn because I think they'll lose to Auburn this year anyway. UCF might be an interesting game. Um, Talent, very different, though. It is different, but there's, UCF is still good. Virginia Tech would be a tough game. Uh, and probably, I mean, nine for State and for Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss seven. is a little worse than State. Seven, yeah. Seven easily, I would think. Yeah, my, my thought just looking at it was, was seven. You beat NC State, Boston College, UConn. Maybe split with Duke and Miami, split with Virginia, Virginia Tech. Beat Georgia Tech, that's six. I mean, probably should beat James Madison. I mean, I know they're good, but come on. It's the FCS team. That's seven. Might be able to get to eight. Yeah. It's not insane to think that you could get to nine with that schedule. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. couple of golf stories. PGA Tour is back on Thursday. They will be at Colonial in Fort Worth, Texas for the Charles Schwab Challenge. And Jim Nance will be left all by himself in the tower at 18. A little bit different look for CBS. He will be alone in the 18th tower at Colonial. Usually there are five to six people with him during normal weeks, including... Guys like Nick Faldo and Ian Baker Finch and Frank Nobolo, uh, those guys will be in Orlando this week. Dottie Pepper and Mark Immelman will be reporting on the course. CBS's Sean McManus from uh, on a conference call earlier this week says that they will have about half of their usual uh, allotment of crew and talent on site at Colonial. Their main TV truck normally has 22 people in it. This weekend it will have nine. Can they do it adequately? So you're the TV guy. Is nine enough to actually do it right? I mean, I guess they've got it figured out. They, they, They pulled off the... Oh, what was it? We had a it was the NFL draft. You remember how that went. I mean, yes, they'll pull it off one way or another. I just don't know why we're doing this anymore. Oh, Richard, you got your head buried in the sand. Eh, maybe so. The whole, I mean, just test your people. And if they don't test positive, let them work. And people work. And with the access to testing, too, I mean, that was the biggest issue. One of the biggest issues. Of course, this is a virus, and people have died from this virus, most of which immunocompromised or or elderly, but it, it has still happened, each of which is very sad and tragic. But one of the hang-ups for continuing life as normal was the lack of testing 
and we can't test everybody, so we have to shut things down because hospitals are going to be overrun, and we can't even test everybody to know whether or not they should be in the hospital. It's not an issue anymore. That is so not an issue that the most woke league in America, the NBA, is going to test their players every single day because there's that much of an abundance of them. I have seen stories from all over where they now have more tests than demand, which is a great thing. So when you have that kind of ability, what's stopping you from testing your truck guys to have a full broadcast team? You test them all. If they're negative, then put them in the truck. If not, then keep them away like you're already doing right now. It just seems like that would be the most logical approach to it. If they don't have the virus and everybody around them does not have the virus and they're working together, they're not going to spread it to each other. Did y'all see where uh, the WHO went back on what they said yesterday about oh, asymptomatic? Yeah. Yeah, it's up, what is it, 16% now? It, it Well, they said they, they don't even really know the numbers, but they did say that, I don't know, I wish that there should be a new rule. Who told them they had to walk back on their initial claims? Because they didn't just put that out there out of nowhere in the first place. Just until you can show it to me on a graph, don't don't say anything about anything. Or or, or what if they were right initially and they just like eh, somebody said you can't do that. I saw Fauci well, was not... back in the news today. He had uh, he had some bad news and so he's he's back out there. I, I'm not going to jump in on the uh, the conspiracy theories there, but that's uh... oh that he's uh, he, he's getting paid to help with population control and that's why he spreads misinformation yeah that's one out there who fauci (laughs) that fauci's in this conspiracy of um population control and so that's why he intentionally misleads us on the virus i don't think he's intentionally misleading us i think just the information changes and you can kind of make statistics look like you want them to look and i think they've done a lot of that and, I mean, he's kind of had a bunch of different positions along the way, hasn't he? It wasn't a big deal, and then it was a really big deal, and then it was a massive deal, and it's going to be the end of the world, and then it wasn't a big deal, and yeah, we should go back to sports, and now we shouldn't go back to sports, and this the headline today was the biggest nightmare of his career. Corona, and it's not over. A lot going on there. A lot going on there. Uh, CBS is also working with the tour much more aggressively about miking players up, and they've already gotten some commitments from tour players for Colonial. That's going to be awesome. I mean, even if which they've had players to agree to it, so so that's great. But even if they couldn't get players to agree, just having somebody with a natural sound mic or one of those shotgun mics where you can really target. Uh, what they're saying, that's an element that's been missing on the broadcast. And, and you get it from Jordan Spieth because he's he and his caddy are big-time talkers. But I would love to hear the conversation that goes between player and caddy when they're deciding on what club to hit, what their trajectory is, distances, everything. I mean, there are things that caddies do, like just calming down their, their player in, the, in a routine that like I picked up on at the Sanderson Farm. Hey, just things that a caddy says. I followed Zach Johnson for a few holes. His caddy is like part of his routine. Like things that they say to each other is really consistent. I would love to hear that more. And it's not like a football game where you really shouldn't broadcast what the coach is saying in his headset because those are those are plays that they want to have concealed. 
it's all different for every guy, so let, let us hear it. That would be so cool to hear that process instead of, oh, he's got a seven iron, he swings, and you can't see the ball, and it lands on the green, and that's all you get. Hearing more of that would just add so much to the viewing experience on a relatively boring sport. Um, and Jim Gallagher told us he didn't think that that would happen or what didn't happen, think it would work, but maybe it's gotten a little more traction than people uh, anticipated it would. Uh, CBS also announced that they will have a, uh, they're calling it a confession cam where players will duck into a tent and answer a question or two on screen during their rounds at the first few events. So they do that on the hold, hold European on. tour. Is that right? like the halftime interview, or the like that people think is worthless, or is this different? They probably can't do it just because of social distancing and all that stuff. But uh, I do believe the European tour will have their on-course reporter, or the player will be mic'd up to the guys in the booth, and while they're walking down a fairway, they'll just have a conversation. So similar to what you have to do on the the SEC Network broadcasts where you talk to a coach while pitches are going on. Uh, this is, would be a little bit different because golf, it's not action, right? So you can really talk to a guy when he's walking down the fairway. I guess this is something similar to that, but I don't understand why you're asking them to slow their rounds down to talk to you when they're already too long. Um, if they're mic'd up, just say, hey, would you be willing after this tee shot when you're walking down the fairway to do a little Q&A? Well, the problem is not just the mic piece. It's a, a, a second belt pack and an earpiece that goes along with it also. Yeah. So, uh, like the on-course reporter. And you're not going to do this Sunday at Augusta, but you don't need Sunday at Augusta to have anything else to the broadcast. It's already perfect. So, But like on a Thursday, when it's 5 o'clock and you get home from work and you put your feet up, a little Q&A with Ricky Fowler as he's walking down the fairway with the, the uh, inside-the-ropes reporter would be a nice little touch. Some players are going to be great about that, as we've seen, and some are not. But, I mean, that's kind of like the reality of life. Right? I mean, some people are just more interesting to talk to than others and are more engaging than others, and I guess it's probably no different there. I mean, Brooks Kepka doesn't strike me as somebody who would be, or, or Dustin Johnson, who would be riveting to talk to while they are walking down the fairway between a 330-yard tee shot and their second shot into the green. That would, that would make the broadcast worse, if nothing else. But Ricky Fowler a second ago, who you mentioned, yeah. Justin Thomas, yeah. Probably couldn't get Phil to shut up. <laughs> Guess that's possible. He'd be great, though. If anybody would be good at this, it's going to be him. Rory would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Kevin Kisner. Probably need a dump button handy. Probably so. So that's happening this weekend. Next weekend, the PGA Tour will be at Hilton Head. Tiger Woods' yacht has departed Florida for St. Simons Island. And that's not too terribly far from Hilton Head. No, it's about a two-hour drive, um in your car two and a half hours or so but the conspiracy theorists are saying they're they're taking his yacht from what is it Clearwater Beach Florida to St. Simons Tiger's going to meet them at St. Simons and then they're going to take him on his yacht to uh to dock it somewhere in Hilton Head 
That's the conspiracy out there. But why else would they be moving his yacht closer to next week's tournament site? Because that's what he stays on. Don't. Yeah. Which, by the way, is really cool. Let's say you get to sleep in your own bed. Bring Have your you. chef cooking your own food. It's not a. Uh, it's not terrible. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Fight Island is on. Remember when we were talking about this uh, a few weeks back? The whole UFC Fight Island thing? It's going to happen in the Middle East. UFC President Dana White revealed on ESPN's first take this morning that his mysterious Fight Island is located on Yaz Island in Abu Dhabi. The island will help the company promote some of its international athletes who have a hard time entering the United States because of travel restrictions from coronavirus. UFC will host four events on Fight Island next month. UFC 251, which is pay-per-view. UFC Fight Night cards as well, July 15th, 18th, and 25th. The designated area of Yaz Island will make up Fight uh, that will make up Fight Island includes an arena, a hotel, training facilities, dining facilities. Will include a safety zone of ten square miles in which the only people permitted will be athletes, coaches, UFC staff, and literal person uh, limited personnel. Dana White says, we're literally just going to Yaz Island right now to pull off these fights. Because the hardest thing to do right now is to get people into the country from other parts of the world. And we are a true global business. And we're the only ones that are pulling off live sports right now. And if I continue to do fights in the United States, I'm going to burn out all my American talent. So now we've got Yaz Island ready to go. It's set up. What do you think about that? He gets billed as a crazy person, and maybe he is. But has anybody won more in sports? Has anybody won more during the coronavirus shutdown than him in UFC? Great businessman. Brilliant businessman. He is a little crazy. You can be both. But he, he is he is smart, he's creative, and he's, he keep, you know, He's one of those guys, he's not going to take no for an answer. He's always going to try to figure out solutions. Sometimes they're not the best solutions, but they're his solutions. Kind of does things his way, doesn't he? Very much. You can do that when you have, you know, when, you, when you're the owner, when you're your own boss and you're worth a few hundred mil, you can sort of do that. Yeah. I guess that's true. Is... I mean, this isn't something that other sports can replicate, is it? Like, this just works for UFC. It's not a sport. Wrestling could maybe do something like this, but I don't know. I guess basketball, in a way, could have. UFC is or is not a sport? Wrestling is not a sport. UFC is a sport. Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, the NBA could have. They don't need all that much space to operate. Now, bringing in 22 teams is a different story, but to have, like, a playoff series... Just need one court. 
10 square miles is a big area, by the way. Have you seen the pictures I mean, I of this if, island? I don't know if it's a perfect square or not, but I mean, you're talking like, what, 3.2 miles by 3.2 miles? That's a big area. The the picture of the island I saw, I saw a tweet that said said this. It looks like the map that you get when you walk into Disney World. Shows you where the parks are. That's what it looks like. It's seriously, it, it looked like the UAE has decided to just build the city that appears in Pixar movies. It's 6,400 acres. That's what 10 square miles equates to. 6,400 acres. I mean, they got, they got room to kind of stretch out and spread their wings a little bit while they're there. Yeah, the initial idea was for like a small, un, like unoccupied island in the Caribbean. So they've evolved that a little bit. Are they just calling this an island, though it's not actually an island? It, it looks man-made, which is a lot of the islands in UAE anymore anyway. Um, but it, it, it's an island in in the way that it is surrounded by water, technically. But like the water that separates it from the mainland, if you will, looks like the size of a small highway. And it's not like a flowing river. It's just a very small strip of water in between the the island and the mainland. There wasn't a picture of this in the ESPN story, was there? No. I, I have since Googled them. Gotcha. But that's all it is. Yeah, it looks like just a small little canal. It's not an island in the way that your your mind goes to when you hear island. It is a, it, it's a development. It looks like a theme park city. Think big, dream big, make it happen. And I think there's a selfish reason for it as well. I mean, Dana White even said, I can't burn out all my fighters in the United States. We got to get this thing going international again so that we keep everybody healthy. Sports Talk Mississippi, we'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Tuesday afternoon, June the 9th. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, thanks for being with us. C Spire text line open to you, 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from C Spire Business, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. With Ceasefire Business, it's easy to give your team the tools to get things done no matter where they are. Share files in seconds, chat on any device, meet virtually, and more, all over secure cloud based solutions with dedicated local support. Get your organization remote work ready today at ceasefire.com slash business. It is just after five o'clock, and so it is time for the college football fix.
And the college football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Check out the entire lineup of cars, trucks, SUVs from Ford. You can test drive one today. Great savings for you. Good deals on the entire lineup at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. So a list from ESPN where they tier the coaches, uh, I'm sorry, the jobs, the coaching jobs, college football at the Power 5 level. Here's their breakdown, the rationale. Tier 1 jobs. Great location with excellent access to elite regional and national recruits. Strong infrastructure and commitment from the university and athletic administration. Few financial limitations on assistants and staffs. History as a top five program, whether recent or long term. The creme de la creme. Tier two jobs. Good location. They call it very good location and or access to top 300 recruits. No major limitations around facilities, coaching salaries, or support staff. The ability to win a national title occasionally and compete regularly for conference championships. Consistent top 20 finishes, recent or long term. The Tier 3 jobs. Good location and access to regional recruits. Solid facilities and salary pool for assistance. Adequate administrative fan support with occasional challenges. Place that should regularly contend for division titles and occasionally win the league with a college football playoff appearance as a realistic ceiling. Tier 4 jobs. Recruiting are resource restrictions that make player development a focal point. Strong facilities, but average overall infrastructure. Limitations with administrative and fan support. Consistent bowl team that competes for division titles. League titles and New Year's Six Bowls a few times per decade. And then Tier 5 jobs. They say limited recruiting reach that requires a developmental approach. Decent and functional facilities. Some support from administration and boosters. A job where bowl eligibility is still typically celebrated. And the occasional 10-win season, division title, or major bowl appearance is a big deal. Is there enough variation between those tiers? You good with that? Yeah, I feel like that's fair. Yeah. The rankings aren't fair, but the tiers are fair. Do you want to start bottom and work our way to the top, or start at the top and work our way down? Let's go top down. Okay. Tier one jobs, Power Five nationally. Bama, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, LSU. Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas, Southern Cal. Is there anybody in that group that you think should not be considered a tier one job? That was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine schools. Is it blasphemy to say that putting Oklahoma a step below the rest of them would not be a bad decision? Nah, I disagree with that. Yeah, I do too. They're in the playoff every year. They have excellent. I mean, they are how close to Texas? So they got plenty of access to elite regional, and they recruit nationally. That's that. Yeah, they get they got plenty of facilities are great. No limitations yeah. in what and they, they got their coaching staff. They, they got history. everything. On that list. Yeah, 
So then why is Florida State below them? What does Florida State not have that Oklahoma, or that Oklahoma has? Facilities are not as good. Support is not as good. Administration at times has been a little bit of a mess. History is not it, as good. Facilities not as good in, in what way? I, I genuinely don't Dope know. Dope Campbell is not as nice as Gaylord Memorial. Yeah. It's kind of splitting hairs a little bit, right? What would you ask? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. the... If that's going to be what separates Oklahoma well, from I mean, Florida I gave you State, three in other tier, reasons you just pick that one to ask why. Well, then administration. What is the administrative difference between Florida State and Oklahoma? Joe Castiglione is a top three athletics director in the entire country, and Florida State is in massive debt and couldn't get out of its own way over the last decade. It's fair. I mean, they did. They were able to pony up twenty million dollars to get rid of a they, coach that clearly wasn't working early on. They did what they had to do. You're exactly right. But more I mean, talent in the state. Yeah, they have to compete for it with more people, but there's far more talent in the state of Florida than there is Oklahoma. Conference, I mean, I, it, that's kind of a wash. Two other Power Five schools that are, you know, have been good in football in the last 20 years, whereas they, Oklahoma has Oklahoma State. Right. But, All right. So, and okay, who so Alabama, let's just walk through these teams one by one. Alabama, no debate, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Clemson, no debate. Do you have any issue with Florida being there? I mean, if you're going to talk about facilities, the difference between facilities in Florida and uh, Florida State and Oklahoma, well, Florida's facilities aren't great either. They have been lacking. They're in the process of building right now. They're doing the football building. Scott Strickland came in, started focusing on facilities. When the swamp's right, it's as good as any in America. It just hasn't been right nearly as much in the last 15 years as the previous 20. Um, but no, I think Florida's campus is blah. Yeah. Gainesville's kind of blah. Just okay. But there's no excuse to not win there, and they have recent national okay, championship Okay, so you're, you're okay with Florida as a Tier 1 school? Absolutely. Job. Me too. Yeah. Georgia, no debate? No. Nope. LSU? Nope. None. No debate. Ohio State? Nope. No debate. I think there's no debate on Oklahoma. Borky raised a little bit of a flag. Just hey, a little I think bit. you and I are together there. Yeah. Texas, absolutely no debate. There are some that might want to argue Southern Cal. I would not be one of them. No, Southern Cal has everything in place to be a, a year in year out power. They hire bad coaches. Okay. All right, so those are your tier one jobs. Then the question becomes I mean, and, and again, not everybody can be in the group that is the best. There are some that are in group two that be like, whoa, what do they have that we don't have? There, there's got to be a, a line to differentiate somewhere. So let's do it this way on tier two. I'll give you the team name. You tell me if they deserve to be in Tier 1 or if just a step below is the right place or if they're too high in Tier 2. Auburn. Do not belong in 1. Yeah, yeah, 2 is fine. Florida State. 2 is fine. I think you could make an argument for 1, though. Recent national championship, recruiting, State. I mean, Florida produces so many players, even with three big-time schools that all win at the same time. It still produces so many players. That's why everybody tries to recruit it. 
I could listen to an argument for Florida State being a, a tier one job in college football. See, see, I would say that there are probably four in this tier two that you could make an argument for or with just a little more success currently, like in the next couple of years, could easily bump up. For me, to be a tier one, don't you have to be the dominant team in your state? And Florida State is not that right now. Florida is. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I mean, I get what you're saying. I mean, you right now when you make Florida and Florida State schedule out and they're on their, each other's schedule, you're picking Florida to win right now. So I would say that I, I just feel like if you're not number one in your own state, how can you be like, one of the elite of the elite programs? If Texas A&M were to bump up in the next three or four years and win a national championship, you could make an argument to have Texas and Texas A&M there. That should be a tier one job. It is not. It should be. Yeah, but it, it's a sleeping giant. It's just really, really asleep. Yeah, I was going to say, I've, I've heard that before, I think. Yeah. All right, so the tier two jobs are Auburn, Florida State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oregon, Penn State, Texas A&M, and Washington. Which of those jobs have a legitimate argument to be in consideration for Tier 1 or, with a little bit more success, could make that jump? Then we'll continue through the tiers when we come back. This is your College Football Fix, driven by Ford. All right, so the Tier 1 jobs are Bama, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas, and Southern Cal. This story comes from ESPN.com. And the, uh, the folks that put it together, it was an ESPN Plus story. It's Adam Rittenberg, and uh, he and uh, David Hale put this together and then started kind of uh, looking. And, and they're kind of approaching it from most appealing jobs. So, Tier 2, gave it to you before the break. Auburn, you guys both said they're in the right place. Florida State, an argument to be made that maybe they could be bumped up. What about Michigan? Um, If you look at Michigan's history, the results aren't there. I mean, yes, they have a a big, beautiful stadium and an alumni base that's large, and they certainly have a brand, but they've never really won at that super high level. I mean, their their greatest the 97 coach. Ninety-seven last national championship. Yeah, and their greatest coach ever never won one. It's just, it's a good job, obviously, but the state of Michigan doesn't produce players, and they have to share it, albeit with a lesser program. But they still have to share it. They've been absolutely owned by their rival for the last what almost twenty years now. I don't think it belongs in the same conversation. They just don't have the results to show for it. Yeah, they're the second best team in the Big Ten by a large, large margin, and you know, it's 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 interesting what Borky just said about best team or second best program, second best program, and it's interesting what Borky said about Schimbeckler. That guy is lionized up there. He's almost a saint. Never won a national title. Nineteen forty-eight, nineteen ninety-seven are their most recent two national championships. I mean, if Minnesota had a fluke national title in 1997, just some random year where they went undefeated, would we be having this discussion about them? 
when they won the title in what? I don't no, know. But they don't have a hundred thirteen thousand st- seat stadium in the you know. A well, top they might 10 if they won a national title in nineteen ninety seven. I'm just saying. No, they wouldn't have. I'm just saying that the fact that they won this title in ninety seven, which they split, by the way. I mean, I just you know, they're they're tier two. Here's another Georgia 40-year fact of the day for you. Georgia Tech has more recently won a national championship than Georgia. Ten years more recent than Georgia. It's true. 1990. Split national championship with with Colorado. Colorado. But I always want to say Washington. Washington and uh, Miami split it the next year. Okay. Don't you wish we still had that system in place in college football? No. Notre Dame. Slotted as a tier two job, is it? They have limitations. Yeah, they don't have any kind of regional recruiting. Indiana and that area, no. They have to recruit nationally, which they do. Um, Their stadium, you know, Notre Dame Stadium is is old. You know, their facilities, I don't know what their their football facilities look like, but their their stadium itself is not great. It's Um, the Mecca. But it's. Oh, I mean, I'd cool. love to go there one day, but uh, it's not. Not luxurious. It's, it's, yeah. Which has to hurt them in turn. I mean, I'm not saying that Notre Dame is hurting for fundraising. I'm sure, they're not. They aren't. But they could probably have more because it, what premium seating options do they have in that stadium? None. Yeah. Premium is based on the yard line on which you sit. Yeah. Premium is just being that you're in the stadium. What about Oregon? Tier two. Do you agree with Oregon as a tier two job? I think you you have to have them tier two because of the results. They they you know they they played for one national title. They were in the playoff another time, but by and large, they are not consistently like a top five kind of team. In terms of what they have for facilities, best in the in the world, you know they they got they basically have a bottomless pit of money, willing to be sunk into their program. But and of course they recruit California very very well, and they can recruit yeah, you know and, across and, across the country. And a winning, a willing benefactor in Phil Yes, Knight. it's good to have. And Penn, there is a Penn, Sorry, go go ahead, Borky. There's just a significant difference in accessibility of talent between them and the first tier. Yeah, Pacific yeah, Northwest just does not produce players like Southern California and the Southeast Ohio. I've got no argument with either Penn State or Texas A&M. I think they're where they're supposed to be. Those are both really, really good jobs with great facilities, plenty of fan support. Um, Texas A&M could easily get itself into Tier 1 if they would just win a little bit more. But they are traditionally a 7-5, and 8-4 and four program. I, I shouldn't say traditionally. I should say historically. That is historically what Texas A&M is. I'm not being a and troll. You're not a tier one job when you're an eight and four team. No, I'm not being a troll when I ask this. I, I genuinely am curious. They're in Texas. They have all the money in the world, yet they still have not been able to win at a high level. Do you think that might be in part due to College Station not being the greatest place? So I'm told, and then the overall weirdness of of campus and people and traditions and stuff there, do you think that might turn off the right people to win at that kind of a level? Yeah. It's tough to say. I mean, I don't know why Kyler Murray left. If he doesn't leave, what happens with Texas A&M? You know, I think that, if, I mean, if it's if he was turned off by what you're saying, then yeah, that's an issue. If he just didn't like Kevin Sumlin and wanted to get out, 
That's something different. You know, Bryan College Station, that area is, I mean, I, I don't love it. I feel like everything's brown. But it's growing, and they're, they're really catching up. I mean, that from, from a, a growth standpoint, that area is exploding. All of their facilities are good. Campus is massive. You may be on to something, though. It, it's, it's a weird vibe. I mean, Johnny Manziel, it, it, this is the example that just makes me laugh. Um, they switched him to online classes because him walking on campus would cause, cause such a disturbance, people wouldn't be able to get to class on time. Yeah, yeah, maybe they couldn't get to class on time because the business building and the biology building are three miles apart. <laughs> what about Washington being a Tier 2 job? That's about right. They have results, sort of. They've, they, well, they've, they've been good. They've had they've had some some good seasons, but they haven't. They're not a consistent year in year out top ten team. All right, tier three. Recruit- this may be where. Go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm just. You good? Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking tier three may be where we see some disagreement because there's some some jobs in tier four where you go, hold on now, that might be a level higher, and there's some in in tier three where you go, yeah, I don't know. Arizona State leading the list at tier, tier three. Now it's alphabetical. Um. I just give you the whole list. Arizona State, Baylor, Iowa, Louisville, Miami, Michigan State, Nebraska, Oklahoma State, Stanford, TCU, Tennessee, UCLA, Utah, Virginia Tech, and Wisconsin. A lot to unpack with that. I Ooh. think I think you could make you could make an argument for Wisconsin being one step ahead. I mean Agreed. perpetual Agreed. ten win team basically for the last twenty years. Um, I agree. And that list you just read was to completion. In what way is Arizona State a better job than either Ole Miss or Mississippi State? It's easier to win in the Pac-12. Then why don't they? So that that would be my response is why don't they? I mean, they haven't been to an access bowl since those began. Ole Miss and Mississippi State have both made appearances, uh, three of them combined. I don't know what their financial situation is. I don't think Sun Devil Stadium is the nicest in the world. I assume that's what it's still called. They're reducing uh, capacity of it. I yeah. mean, they well, can't they get people to show it, up. But, they, but as part of a massive upgrade. Yeah, building a, so. a awning or something, right? To, they they do have Herm Edwards, so that's a plus. Them, I would ask the question about Arizona State. I would ask the question about Baylor. I would ask the question even about Stanford. It's a great place. But they have serious limitations on getting players there. Easier to win in the Pac-12, but it's harder for them to build a roster that's competitive. I, those three, I mean, I think you could even say, why is Oklahoma State a better job than Ole Miss or Mississippi State? Gundy's been great, and yes, they, they've been bankrolled by an oil tycoon for a long time, but they're second fiddle in a state that doesn't produce talent. Outside of 2011, it's nothing but a 10-win season here or there. Again, Gundy's very good, but is there really that much of a difference between Oklahoma State and, and Ole Miss and then Mississippi State? You're, just, you're splitting a lot of hairs. I think it's Oklahoma State is so close to Texas so they can dip in there and recruit, whereas Mississippi State and Ole Miss kind of can't. You know, I think Tennessee is a program that could jump up to Tier 2. They're obviously not there right now. Um... Louisville, 
And I think Iowa's in the right place. Baylor might be a tick high. Iowa, to me, is probably right. Iowa says makes player development a focal point. That is what Iowa is. They certainly aren't a recruiting powerhouse. They should be down a tier, in my opinion. Yeah, but based on results. Well, based on results, yeah, but that's not what we're basing all this on, correct? Yeah. Ole Miss and Mississippi State are both in Tier 4. We'll look at the rest of that list when we come back. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. We're looking at this list from ESPN.com that Adam Rittenberg put together tiering the Power 5 football jobs. They looked at Tiers 1, 2, and 3. Both Ole Miss and Mississippi State fall in Tier 4. And these are sorted alphabetically. It's kind of interesting. If you wanted to take this to another level, within the tiers, if you ranked the jobs within their various tiers, it'd be pretty hard to do with Tier 1. Tier 2, I think you could probably do a dividing line with like four or five that are the top half, four or five that are the bottom half. I think it'd be easier to do with Tier 3, the jobs we were just talking about a second ago. When you get to Tier 4, it's a bunch of teams. Arkansas, Cal, Colorado, Georgia Tech, Kansas State, Kentucky, Maryland, Minnesota, Mississippi State, Missouri, North Carolina, NC State, Northwestern, Ole Miss, Pitt, Purdue, South Carolina, Texas Tech, Virginia, Washington State, and West Virginia. That's the biggest group of teams... And it is, I mean, I think there's kind of a, there's a pretty significant difference between the teams that go in the top part of Tier 4 and the teams that go at the, in the bottom part of Tier 4. Agree or disagree? Well, there, yeah, there are a lot of teams that are much closer to jumping in Tier 3 than there, than there are teams that are on the verge of falling into Tier 5. Ole Miss and Mississippi State, are they at the top part of Tier 4? Yeah, I think so. Being in the SEC certainly helps. You're getting that you know $60 million check every year. You've got a good regional recruiting base. Um, your facilities are, are good. Um, you've got plenty of fan support. Um, administratively, I mean, both teams or both schools... You know, Cohen's sort of the senior guy, but he's only been there now. You know, This will be his fourth year come, come November. So you've got young, relatively young athletic directors who are both alums and both former athletes. So I think that, to me that plays like a positive. You know, they're going to be passionate about athletics. They should have added an additional tier, at least. I mean, because I still go back to what I was talking about a second ago. I would like your opinion on it. Is what makes Baylor a better job than Ole Miss and Mississippi State right now? A better job. It's plumb in the middle of Texas. Hasn't really helped them much. They had the worst oh, recruiting that. class in the Big 12 last year. Well, I mean, I get that. They did lose their head coach and, and all that. But Consistently same, not good at recruiting, usually. Well, they were. You know, The reason their football program fell off wasn't football-related reasons. You know, If Art Briles and he wasn't a bunch of social deviants, they might still be winning 9, 10 games a year under him. They have a Heisman Trophy winner in the past decade. 
Um, I mean, they, they got a, they 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 have a lot of uh, of, of positives working for them. I'm not saying that they, that that they're that far separate. They're they're much closer to Mississippi State and Ole Miss than you know. You might you might first think Baylor is probably towards the bottom of tier three to be totally honest because I mean I like Aranda I think he's a good coach but if they if he goes three and nine four and eight five and seven and gets fired I won't be completely surprised. Arkansas to me is one that's a bit of a conundrum because the program is in such a bad place right now, and from a I actually think Arkansas probably is toward the bottom of Tier 4. Now, facilities are outstanding. And, you know, they just poured another $150 million or so into, into Razorback Stadium. But their schedule is an issue. They don't play all of their home games at Razorback Stadium in Fayetteville. Talent, football talent in the state of Arkansas is... Not good. I mean, it's not even, it's not even close it. to what you get in the state of Mississippi. Yeah. And they've gone from, well, we're the closest SEC team to Texas to there's an SEC team in Texas. Yeah, I've said that a few times, that Texas A&M killed their Texas recruiting, basically. Yeah. Um, South Carolina feels like it's probably in the right spot. Yeah. Tier 5, by the way, is made up of Arizona, Boston College, Duke, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa State, Kansas, Oregon State, Rutgers, Syracuse, Vanderbilt, and Wake Forest. I might have Wake Forest in Tier 4. They've been consistently pretty good for the past you know, decade plus. Yeah, they have some down years, but they're, they're a consistent bowl team. Yeah, but... To go back to your point earlier, it's not based on results, right? I guess you're right, yeah. I mean, it's a small private school that's relatively difficult to get into with a small alumni base and a small stadium. It's a pretty stadium, but it's small. And, you know, Jim Grobe did a pretty good job there. Dave Clawson's doing a pretty good job there. I think... I think it would be a really good job to be the head coach at Wake Forest, but I don't know that you say that that's a great job. And I say it's a good job to have because it pays well, it's in the ACC, there's not a ton of pressure to win there. Expectations are, please don't embarrass us. Um, but at the same time, it, it, you know, you got a couple of coaches that have proven you, you can win at a reasonable clip at Wake Forest. Yeah, you can be a perpetual bowl team. I yeah. I still think they should have added another tier because when I look at the one that they have grouped Ole Miss and Mississippi State in, uh, better jobs than Cal, I would say. Better jobs in Colorado, Georgia Tech, Kansas State, oh. Maryland, Minnesota. They're winning right now, but uh, better jobs here. Um, North Carolina, NC State, probably on the right tier. Better jobs than Northwestern by a uh, hundred times. Uh, better jobs than Pitt, Purdue. Uh, better job than Texas Tech. Better job than Washington State and West Virginia. I, I don't think Ooh, that Ole Miss is on equal footing, or Mississippi State on equal footing of Pittsburgh or or Purdue. Uh, that you just you could never convince me that they are on the same level of coaching job. You could not do it. If if Ole Miss and Mississippi State wanted Pittsburgh's coach, they'd hire him tomorrow. 
and he would jump. I mean, he'd, he'd go running to Oxford or Starkville, without a doubt. It, it's a complete, I think it's a complete mischaracterization of the status. It's, underranking the SEC some, because South Carolina, I, same thing. There's no way Purdue is a better job than South Carolina. They're not on the same level. They're not on the same tier. Let's play a little game for a second. You can text us, by the way, on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. If you were a 37-year-old hotshot offensive coordinator and had been on a team that, you know, had made trips to the college football playoff three of the last four years, and you had your pick of any of the Tier 1 jobs, Alabama, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas, and Southern Cal, which game would you pick? I'm sorry, not which game. Which job would you pick? Let's just say all nine of those jobs were open at the exact same time, and all nine athletics directors wanted you to be their new head coach. I think the answer is Ohio State. For I'm torn. Go ahead. Just for a multitude of reasons, they have zero in-state competition whatsoever. They own that state, and it happens to be one that produces high school football talent among the best in the country. And it's a very easy path to winning relative to your SEC counterparts. Clemson does not have the deep-rooted. Uh, success that Ohio State does and also they do have competition in their own state and one that does not produce talent. I think I would go with the the lacking competition within your state and within your conference and a history that ex- that spans decades of winning at the highest level and then all of the resources that everybody else has. I think it's Ohio State. Okay. I think I'm going to pick Texas. I feel like you know, Ohio State, yeah, that, Ohio does produce a lot of, of quality players, but not as many as Texas does. Ohio State still has to go out of state a lot of times to find their players. Texas could legitimately recruit its state and maybe one or two other guys from outside. Uh, money's never going to be an issue. Fan support's never going to be an issue. Uh, again, you know, you got Oklahoma. You got to get past them, but if you do, it's again, it's a relatively easy path to the playoff. I think I, I think I would go with the Longhorns. I think, knowing full well what Gene Stallings said, something about it's just a little bit easier to win at Alabama, I would pick Georgia. Ooh. I was sort of torn between Georgia, Florida, LSU. All three of those sort of have a lot of the same advantages. Yeah. LSU might be my second pick. I want a warm weather school, too. It's just easier to recruit that. Yeah. I think it'd be Georgia for me. The combination of the stadium, the fan support, the financial assistance above board and otherwise, the yearning for that national championship, I think that's the one.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.